study in Jesus' name. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for your presence today. We thank you for your guiding hand, for your directing hand in our life. We thank you, God, that you have brought this wonderful congregation of people together this morning, that you've kept your hand upon us in our travels, that you have been with us. We thank you for this opportunity to study and to hear the Word of God. We ask that our minds and our hearts would be open and receptive to your Word in Jesus' name. We praise you this morning. We exalt you this morning. Praise the Lord. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Before you're seated, uh, turn around, shake somebody's hand, smile real big, tell them it's good to see you in the house of the Lord. And if you don't mean it, we'll have altar service later. Praise the Lord. I am... uh, excited this morning and uh, just ecstatic to see all of you here and um, I trust that y'all have had a good week and if you'll remember last week uh, we started another series and uh, I hope you don't get tired of series but it's much easier uh, for continuity if we can talk about the same thing for a couple of weeks Uh, So I will try not to uh, go too long on this series, but it is a, uh, to me, an incredible study. Uh, We've been talking about Psalms 23. We started that last week, and uh, I want to read Psalms 23, just verse 1 this week, and uh, it's very familiar. Uh, Most everybody here can quote this entire chapter, but it just simply says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And uh, last week we talked about the Lord. When the Bible says, the Lord is my shepherd, David uh, is saying these words as we talked about last week, almost boasting, almost proud of the fact, uh, kind of with his shoulders squared back, that God, he is my shepherd, that nothing else is going to lead me, guide me, there's no other provision in my life there's no other protection in my life but God is my shepherd the Lord is the one who is in charge of me and then uh, this morning we want to start and I will try to get into it pretty quick Uh, it's a lot of material I don't like I said I don't want to spend a, a lot of time on this study but I want to talk about those next four words that the psalmist David spoke when he simply said, I shall not want. What was David talking about? Remember, David is writing this psalm from a lot of experience. We all know the stories of David being a shepherd. David spent many, many days, months, and even years in the wilderness guiding his sheep around the wilderness when the wild beast, the bear, And the lion came into his flock. Uh, He attacked them. (laughs) And uh, most of us would deem that not real bright. But nevertheless, a shepherd that loves his sheep will go through any any length and will will sacrifice even his very life for his sheep. And uh, so David went after the lion and the bear. He killed the bear with his bare hands. 
and he killed the lion with his bare hands. Why didn't he use his lion hands to kill his lion? Anyway, if you didn't get that or you don't want to get that or just want to say quit with the corny jokes, I get it. I shall not want. I shall not want. What is David trying to say? What is David, what is he saying here? And I've met a guy this past week, and I'm going to tell you all real quick, and and I don't want to get into this in this scripture, but um, I walked into a place of business with with where I work, and there was a guy that uh, was helping me, and uh, I would have never dreamed what was fixing to come out of his mouth. You know, stereotyping. We all know what stereotyping is, right? It's not right, but nevertheless, as humanity, we have a tendency to do it. Well, I walked in, and this guy really should have been in a biker bar, or he should have been in prison. He was rough. Man had his shirt sleeves way up here from the tip of his fingers to as far up his arm as I could see on both arms were tattoos. He had tattoos all over his neck. He had them on his ears. He, I'm a big, just burly guy. And I'm telling you, I walked in and I'm like, wow, okay. So I strike up a conversation. He's a nice guy. And I'm like, man, this guy, I know he rides a Harley. There's no doubt. I know he is tough. I know he'd beat the fire out of you. All these things. So I struck up a conversation with him. And he says, Man, I'm looking for another job. I said, really? He said, man, I need to find another place of employment that's a little more conducive with the schedule that I want to keep. Because you see, I don't want to work any Sundays. I said, really, why? He said, I'm on the ministry team at my church. And I was like, I never saw that coming. It was the last thing I ever expected. Now, I think it's incredible Uh, And as I got to talk to him, the guy is in love with God. He is in love with the Word of God. I mean, it is incredible. And he told me, he said, man, you see all these tattoos? I wanted to say, no, I didn't notice any. But you couldn't help but see the big skulls and all that stuff. And I said, yeah. He said, I put them on myself. He said, I was a tattoo artist. But he said, man, I have... I have got a relationship with God now, and man, all that life is I'm witnessing to all those people, and so it was it was incredible. But uh, he got off into some stuff. He asked me some stuff about scripture, and it was was some some stuff. And anyway, he got off into some wild junk. Anyway, I don't want to get into that in this, but uh, when, when he got into the intent of what Paul was saying and the intent of what Jesus was saying, and and I don't, I don't get off into all that junk because we weren't there. We don't know. So when I say, what did David mean? I don't mean it that way. Got through all that story just to tell you that. Ain't that fun? So when David said, I shall not want, what David is saying is that there is a greater part of the word want, that there is something more 
in my life, now that I have engaged this relationship with God, it doesn't mean just lacking. It's not that I am just, uh, I shall not be deficient. It doesn't mean that I'm not going to be in proper care when he said want. But the emphasis of the word want here, when he's saying that I shall not want, is that I'm going to be content with the care of my shepherd. And I won't want, I won't uh, crave, I won't uh, desire anything else. I won't desire another shepherd. I won't desire another manager. I won't desire another overseer. The only one that I'm concerned about is God himself. And so when David said, I shall not want, what he is saying is that there's nothing else that can take the place of God in my life. Now that I have God, and now that I have this relationship with God, nothing else can cause me to desire it. In other words, there's, no, there's nothing else around that, that, uh, that will cause me to want to say, God, you sit over here for a while because I desire this now more than I desire you because because now that I have God, and now that I understand, and David knowing what it was to be a shepherd, David is saying, now that I understand that you are the good shepherd, that I am going to place my life completely, totally in your care. When, when, uh, when David is saying that I shall not want, he's not saying that we won't lack. He's not saying that there won't be tough times. And as we continue through this Bible study and we study uh, the relationship between a flock of sheep and the shepherd and, uh, and all of the things the shepherd does and, and how he works with them and, and brings them through adversity and stuff, you'll understand that, that the sheep do sometimes lack and sometimes there's storms and sometimes they get rained on and sometimes it's cold. But the shepherd will bring them through that and provide for them. And that is what David is saying here. David, you'll remember, had been chased by Saul all over the countryside. He had also, after David became king, he was run out of town, so to speak, by his own son, Absalom. Absalom chased David out of the city of Jerusalem. David, if you'll read his story, he had known great personal poverty. He had also known great hardship, and he had also known great anguish in his spirit. You'll remember that he lost children. David lost friends. David lost position. David lost family. David lost a lot of things in his life, and he had suffered great hardship in his life. I think, uh, in my own understanding, one of the most grievous things that David faced was the loss of his good friend Jonathan. If you'll remember, David was sore distressed. The Bible says that he was very upset over the loss of Jonathan. He was also very upset over the loss of Absalom, his son. And then his son that was born of Bathsheba, when he died, David was grieved for that son. So David had known these, these hardships. David had known these heartaches. But David never allowed them to take him away or to allow them to cost him the, the understanding that the Lord was his shepherd and was in control of all of, this, of all of these things and would lead him through that. A child of God 
and the good shepherd's care will, dis- will experience lack and they will experience le- need. But if we look at the lives of the great men of God recorded in the Bible, look at the lives of Elijah, look at the life of John the Baptist, look at the life of Peter, John, Moses, Paul, Abraham, even Jesus himself, they all suffered lack and they all suffered need. Let's look at John, the, the, the book of John, chapter 16, in verse 33. These things have I spoken unto you that you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So in this world we're going to have tribulation, but it does not mean, it does not mean that God is not in control. In this world you're going to have heartache, but it does not mean that God doesn't know where you're at. One of the most, one of the most, common fallacies in our relationship with God is that we believe that when everything is going good then we have the favor of God. There's a concept that I want to we may teach on it one time. You know what the Bible says in the kingdom of God the first shall be last and the last shall be first? There is a there's a, there's a concept that what, what the Bible is teaching is that everything is reversed in the kingdom of God. What we think says that this is the blessing of God is actually not. Um, and so, uh, so when we think that we're being blessed by God because everything seems to be going well, we have plenty of money, the family seems to be doing good, the job's going great, Everything seen, nobody's sick, there's nobody in the, I mean, everything, we're on easy street, and so we think that now we have everything between us and God is A-OK. The Bible says in Revelations that, in, in talking about the church of Laodicea, which we understand is the last church age, the Bible mentions this in, in Revelations 3 and 17 it's an incredible scripture setting, and I, I love the book of Revelations anyway. But look at what, what Jesus is saying to the church of Laodicea. Because thou sayest, I am rich, increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. So we think we're okay. We don't know that we're in bad shape. So a, a person whose life, and, and I've had people, I've had people tell me, man, I look at so-and-so's life and they've got it all together. Man, they just must be the, that's the person I want to model my life out after because they have everything together and they have obtained the favor of God because nothing in their life is wrong. However, that is not a gauge of spirituality. Whether somebody has money or not is not a gauge of their spirituality. Whether somebody's life seems to be going along good, that is not a gauge that they are right with God. There's a lot of people in this world that have an easy life, but they are not right with God. And just the opposite is true, that just because somebody seems to be going through the ringer, 
just because somebody seems to always uh, have a situation or a problem and always have a need and there's the one person that always lifts their hand when we ask if you have a prayer request and that's the one person that's always asking everybody to please pray for this circumstance because man, life is just so tough right now and there always seems to be those people that does not mean that they're not close to God. It does not mean that God has removed his favor from them. Uh, and just because they seem to always have trouble does not mean that God is not close to them. In fact, the opposite of that is sometimes true. That because people are asking for prayer, then they are co- sometimes closer to God than what we think. So, so don't gauge people's uh, life by their, the, the prosperity or lack of prosperity in any part of their life. Don't gauge them. Because in our life, we will experience lack, we will experience need if you're under the care of the good shepherd. David was not referring to in this statement to the, to the material or physical poverty that we go through in life. That is a natural cycle. We've talked about that. We're all going to face the same things whether you like it or not. We're all going to get the cold. We're all going to get a flu. We're all going to sprain our toes and, and all that stuff. If you're clumsy... I know somebody in my immediate family, she is real clumsy sometimes. I won't tell you who it is. But she's gotten up in the middle of the night and kicked the dresser and kicked the bed and and limp around for four or five days. I don't know if anybody else in here has ever done that. You hit your shin, it's going to hurt. That doesn't mean that God is pouring out wrath and punishment. It means you kicked the dresser. I like it. I, I don't like it. I don't like to go through it with people, but I like to see it when it's finally over. But there's this thing that a lot of people will get into, especially uh, new converts that's been in church for a short period of time. They get to looking for a devil behind every bush. You know what I'm talking about? They'll go home and the electricity is out in the house. Somebody hit a power pole right down the road. The devil don't want me to read my Bible tonight. No, somebody hit a light pole right down the road anyway. We go through natural cycles in life. We can't worry about those things. But to understand this, we have to look at the difference between being a, a, a or belonging to, being a sheep in the, in the, the flock of a good shepherd versus another Jesus said it is impossible to serve two masters. It is impossible to serve two masters. In a sheep's life, in the sheep herd's life, there's two possible types of shepherd. Okay? There is a good shepherd and there is a bad shepherd. In my study of this, this type of shepherding, the most common type of bad shepherd is one they call a tenant shepherd. In other words, he's not looking after his sheep, he's looking after the sheep of another person. So a, a person will, will buy a bunch of sheep, they're not going to be out there with them themselves, so they hire a person to come look after those sheep. And normally, a tenant shepherd does not care for the sheep of another person because he did not pay a price for them. Usually, you will take better 
of something that cost you something, right? That's why we don't take care of rental cars. You can laugh at me if you want, but I've seen you. I know how it is. I wonder if this Ford Fiesta can go 110. It's on the speedometer. Let's give it a shot. There was a, a story of a tenant shepherd was looking after a flock of sheep. They were neglected. They basically gnawed at brown and barren grass uh, every winter. He, there was always a shortage of hay, of grain for the sheep. When storms would come up, blizzards would come up, there was no shelter. There was never a place for them to get out of the weather. Uh, they only had one polluted, muddy uh, watering hole for them to drink out of. The shepherd never provided for them salt or any other minerals to keep uh, the sheep healthy, to keep them from getting parasites. And they would just huddle next to the fence and look at the green grass on the other side at the neighbor's pasture. And this shepherd was, a, again, a tenant shepherd. He didn't own the sheep and it didn't cost him anything. And he was calloused. He was indifferent. It was heartless and selfish. He simply just did not care about those sheep. Whether they lived or died didn't matter. When two of those sheep finally found a little hole in the fence and they crossed into the neighbor's pasture and began to eat good green grass, the neighboring uh, shepherd went to this tenant shepherd and said, uh, two of your sheep have crossed into the fence and I've repaired the fence, but I want you to come get your sheep out uh, and put them back in your pasture, which is what you should do. And uh, that tenant shepherd came up, he took the two sheep, and he simply reached down with a large knife and slit their throats because he did not even want to be bothered with taking them back to their own pasture. He simply did not care. In our lives, God is that good shepherd. He, the Lord, is that shepherd that provides for us green pastures. He provides for us uh, provision. He provides for us protection, which is the responsibility of a shepherd. He is the one that makes sure that our life is not lacking, not in physical or material things, but he makes sure that our life is not lacking in, in spiritual things. He makes sure that we are taken care of. I remember when, when Jesus said that uh, take no thought of the things around you. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Don't worry about these things because God is going to take care of these things. He knows you need these things. And so because if you'll consider uh, the birds, that they don't, they don't sow, they don't reap, but yet they eat, and the lilies of the field are beautiful, and Solomon was not as beautiful one of these. So don't worry about the everyday things. And then he goes on to say, but seek ye first the kingdom. And all of these things would be added unto you. God is a good shepherd. He's going to make sure that the basic necessities of our life is taken care of. God understands that you need food. And so He is going to provide for you food. He understands, guys, for most of us, that we need work. I intentionally left the ladies out. Y'all can work, I'm just, but it's the man's job to make sure your family's fed. And so he's going to make sure you have work. He'll make sure that happens. Even in a downed economy, God will provide the necessities of life. Now, when we say that we need a new boat, 
There's somebody up here is trying to get in trouble. I can tell you that. You heard him. Uh, I don't know. If you were going to desire to, you know, for us to go fishing, then maybe you do need that. If you invite me. If we need a new four-wheeler, if we need these things, uh, God doesn't always promise to provide our wants, but he does promise to provide our needs. And so God is a good shepherd. God will take care of you. You can commit your life to God at a young age. And as the psalmist said, I was young, but now I am old, and I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. That is, the, that is the person that's in the hand and the care of a good shepherd. That shepherd has provided for them all of their lives. That shepherd has kept them. Has there been scary times? Yes. Has there been hard times? Yes. Has the blizzards and the storms of life come? Sure. They've all come, but the shepherd has provided for them and cared for them all of their lives. And I know people, and I'm uh, almost envious of people, that at a young age they commit their life to God and, and, and they never had to go through some of the things that others of us have gone through, but God has always protected them. But I can look back over my life and even in times of not serving God, God has kept His hand on me. And I appreciate God for that. But then you have this tenant shepherd. You have this one that doesn't care for the flock. And that is a, a representation of Satan himself. He doesn't care for the people in his control. He doesn't care for the people that he is uh, watching over and is supposed to be taken care of. He will give them uh, sparse and brown and dried up and, and not even nutritious uh, food. He will make sure that there is uh, very little or the lack of things in their life. And I've seen it time and time again. People that serve, God, uh, that serve Satan not so much be Satan worshipers but are, Satan, are, are under the control of Satan or the world, always seem to lack in their life the things that are truly most important. Contentment in the hand of God should be the hallmark of a Christian life. We should be content. This is where Paul said, whatsoever state I'm in, I've learned to be content with that. It's not content because you're happy with where you're at but you're content because you know in whose hand you're in. An outstanding paradox, there's a, an outstanding paradox in life, it's, and that is the intense fervor. It's the, the high pitch, it's the passion that people have about security when they're talking about security, and they're so discontent while they're talking about it. Security brings contentment. We are secure in the hand in who we belong, in, in the flock in which our shepherd is God. Despite the unparalleled wealth, despite all of the things that we possess, despite all of the possessions that we have, the, the, the money, the, the health, the mind, the, the, the jobs, all of these things we have, we're almost completely spiritually bankrupt in values. We want men, humanity, 
The world wants, we're unsettled, we're covetous, uh, we're covetous, uh, we're greedy, we're never satisfied. A true Christian, a person that is truly in the hand of God will say that I'm content with where I'm at. It's not because I have everything I want. It's not about whether we have everything we want, but we have everything we need. The Bible says that he is able, talking about God, that he is able to supply all of our need according to his riches in glory. Anybody ever heard of that scripture? The word need there is singular. It's not plural, it's singular. He's not talking about your needs. He's not talking about all the things you need. He said that he is able to supply your need. Your one need. He is able to supply that. It's not about what we need. It's about who we need. And if we have God... We have everything we need. Amen. It's true. We have everything we need with God. A good shepherd will wake up early. He will stay up late. He is always alert to the welfare of the sheep in his flock. There are no, there's no price too high. There's no uh, amount too much to spend. There's no labor too hard to give his flock the best life that he can give them. There's no price too high. And we know that with Jesus, he gave even his very life. There is a story of a shepherd. He had almost the perfect sheep. It was a U, not Y-O-U, but a E-W-E is a U sheep. It's female for those who may not have known. She was perfect. She was beautiful. She had great temperament. She had great muscle structure. She always, always had a docile attitude. She was not easily frightened. If there was a perfect sheep, this was the one. She was perfect in every way except one. She was a fence crawler. Now, it was, it's an obnoxious trait for some sheep. But they'll, there are some sheep, because of whatever in their little minds, that are very simple. In my study of, of this material, I have learned that sheep are really, really simple. They're dumb. And future studies, we'll talk about it. But one of the things about them is they will watch as they're enemy approaches them a mountain lion or a dog they will watch them approach in such fear they won't move but this sheep was perfect except that she had this one trait and that is to fence crawl she was never satisfied with where she was at and her shepherd was a good shepherd she had the best grass in the whole area to eat she had the cleanest water to drink She was always well taken care of. In the middle of the night, the shepherd would oftentimes get up several times and walk through the pasture or the the holding area where he had his sheep with his rifle and his dog to make sure that the sheep were okayed and they would draw comfort from the shepherd being there. He protected them 
uh, as the old saying goes with shepherds, that you sleep with uh, one ear and both eyes open. And so he would take care of his sheep. And so she was well, she was the best kept sheep in the whole area. But she was never satisfied. She was never happy with where she was at. She always looked for an opportunity. She would walk uh, during her day feeding. She would always feed to the, at the fence. And she would walk close to the fence to find a hole, to find an opening in that fence. And finally the shepherd began to call her Miss Gadabout. Miss Gadabout was always wanting to leave. And this one sheep caused more trouble for that shepherd than, most, than the rest of the flock combined. This one sheep caused him more trouble. But then she developed in this habit she had of going across the fence to feed on less grass, to feed on worse food, to get into a more dangerous situation. She developed another habit, is, and that was that she would, she would lead other sheep with her. She would take other ones with her. And after dealing with her for over two years, trying everything this poor shepherd knew to do to break this habit she had. Now, why in the world? You know, we, we have the little famous saying that the grass always looks greener on the other side. And it's true with, with humanity that the grass always looks greener where we're not. Now, I've always wondered... If the grass looks greener on the other side when you get over there, do you look where you just came from and now that grass looks greener? You understand there's a, there's a, there can get into a situation where you're not satisfied no matter where you're at. And so this was the case with Miss Gadabout. She was never satisfied with where she was at. So after two years of dealing with it, after two years of... of uh, fooling with her and trying to train her and trying to break her of this habit. And two years now of her teaching other sheep how to go astray, how to get out of the care of the shepherd. He did something that, uh, in his own words, was one of the hardest things he ever did. And that was he took a very long knife and he butchered Miss Gadabout. And it was the only way for him to break this cycle in his herd, in this flock. He had to take her life. And, and uh, the shepherd in the story says that it was the, one of the toughest things he did because he loved Miss Gadabout as much as he loved all the rest of his sheep. See, he's a good shepherd. He cares for all of them, and he loved her too. But she was causing a lot of turmoil in the flock. She was causing a lot of heartache in the flock, she was teaching other sheep how to get out of the care of the shepherd. And she was always dissatisfied. She was always uh, uh, in a state of uncontentment. She was never happy with where she was at. So, God, uh, so, so the shepherd took her out. And, and sometimes it happens with us that if, we're, if we get into that place where we're not satisfied, if we get into that place where we can't honestly say, I shall not want... I'm not saying that God's going to take a big knife and, and butcher you. I'm not saying he's going to kill you. But we cut off prematurely in our lives the blessing of God. We cut off in our lives before it should be uh, the, the hand of God. We, uh, in, our, in our constant wandering from 
God's pasture to the world and from the world back and, and never satisfied and always roaming. God deals with us and He pulls on us and He, he, he teaches us, He tries to train us. But eventually there comes a point where, uh, where uh, we, because of our roaming, we begin to cut off the blessing of God. I find it amazing. I was thinking about this yesterday as I was mowing the grass that how is it, and you have to pardon me, pardon, I don't mean to sound mean or rude or crude, but how is it that we expect God to uphold his end of the bargain when we won't uphold ours? And, I, and, and, and let me clarify, when I was, I was mowing, I was thinking about in my poor little pitiful brain, that sometimes it doesn't work right, and other times when it works, it's all over the place. How is it that we expect God? We get aggravated with God because we claim a blessing that is two-parted. Now, I'll use an example, and we talked about this a minute ago, how we say that uh, seek ye first the kingdom and all these things will be added unto you. We say, why aren't these things being added unto me? Why do I not see the fulfillment of this promise, God, that you made? You said, God, that you would add all of these things unto me. What's the first part? Seek ye first the kingdom. So are we doing that? There's a condition to that promise. We do this with our kids. Have you ever told your kid, if you'll take out the trash, I'll give you 25 cents? Have you ever done a chore with money involved? If you'll clean your room, little Billy... I'll give you five bucks. Or I'm going to take you over to what is, we used to won't always want to go to McDonald's and get an ice cream cone. Now my kids want to go to Minchie's and get a frozen yogurt. It's $12 for one of them little things anyway. So if you told little Billy that I'm going to give you $5 for cleaning your room and you have one hour to do it, and an hour later we walk in that room is filthy. And little Billy walks up and says, all right, give me my five bucks. What you going to do? What you going to tell him? Uh-uh, Captain. <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, you, didn't do the, you didn't do your part. I promised you five dollars, but you have to do your part. We have the same approach to God. I'm not going to do my part, God, but I still expect you to give me what you said. So I'm not going to seek first the kingdom, but I expect all these things to be added unto me. I don't want to live in any type of turmoil. I don't want to live in any type of situation. As soon as something starts to go bad, I am on my knees praying, God, please remove this. I can't stand the pain. I can't make it. I'm just about to pass out. And we've we lean on stuff. When God says, 
Put your life, submit, put your life in the hand of a good shepherd. Stop running from one pasture to the next. Stop going from the world back to the church, back to the world, back to the church, back to the world. This same cycle. Stop living like that. If you'll submit yourself to God, if you'll give yourself to God, put your life in His care and understand that God, I know, that there's going to be tough times. But God, I know there's going to be great times. There's going to be awesome times. And regardless of what happens, when we get into the part of this Bible study where it says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, it is incredible how God leads us. It's incredible how God directs us. But I, I, but I want to stress this morning that when David said, I shall not want, he's not talking about lacking things. What he's talking about is I'm not going to desire the leadership of another. I'm not going to desire the pastures of another. I'm not going to desire crossing the fence into another place that I should not be. Regardless of where the shepherd takes me, regardless of how life goes, regardless of the storms, I am going to stay firmly planted, firmly set on the, on the guidance and the direction of the one who's leading me. And in our case, it should be God Almighty that when God is leading me and when God is directing me, then I'm not going to want to go where I should not be. And though it looks tempting sometimes to look out across the so-called spiritual fence and see things, oh, that, oh, I'm missing out on understand that it only looks that way and that when you get over there, it's not always what you've seen. Uh, what it seems to be, but God is only, is the only good shepherd. He's the only one that can make your life beneficial. He's the only one that can make your life whole. He's the only one that can make your life productive and make it happy. It's by the presence and the Spirit of God that we get joy. Contentment in the hand of God I shall not want. It's not about what I have and don't have. It's about who I have guiding my life. And my life this morning is in the hand of a good shepherd. It's Almighty God. And I appreciate Him this morning. Praise the Lord. Aren't you thankful for the Lord this morning?